how crazy is it that like okay, S- Steph Curry and like all these people are literally putting their NFT up on their profile saying, "Hey," and the way I look at it is they're saying I'm a banker. Like I'm controlling my own assets. This is what I'm doing. Like I'm a part of this community that controls our own assets. I'm holding scarcity on the internet. Welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast, the official podcast of Unstoppable Domains and the go-to place for everybody to learn about the latest innovations in Web3, NFTs, and the decentralized web. Join us each week to hear from experts, entrepreneurs, and the early stage investors that are building the future on the blockchain. Not only will this podcast help you understand why these emerging technologies are so important, but you'll also learn how you can become a pioneer in the metaverse. GM, GM, welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast. We've got a fantastic guest today. I'm with Adam Draper, Managing Director at Boost VC and investor in Unstoppable Domains. Adam, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I like GM, GM, GM. Thanks for having me on the show. Really excited to talk to you, Josh. This is going to be awesome. Yeah, I've started to do a lot of research into you because you are an investor in Unstoppable. I've watched some of your podcast interviews. I like the energy you bring, and I think it's just a fresh voice and perspective in Web3. It's an exciting time to be contributing to the space as a builder, a creator, an investor. And that really bleeds through, I think, in a lot of what you share with with the world online. There's something about where good energy is, value is built. So 10 years ago, we were the first investors to focus in the Bitcoin space. And so we started to invest in Bitcoin-related startups. And the reason we were compelled to was because all of the humans in that industry were so excited and they understood how important the technology was going to be to the future. And so we just wanted to surround ourselves with those builders. We've spent the last 10 years really attracting people like that, whether that be in Web3, crypto, DeFi, jetpacks, exoskeletons. We're attracted to that type of business. So Boost VC, we're the accelerator for sci-fi. Our mission is to accelerate the sci-fi future. We want to invest in important things that can impact 9 billion people. Thus, we are investors in Unstoppable. Heck yeah. Well, we're going to dive into your thesis on Unstoppable in just a minute and Web3 in general. I just want to get a brief intro into how you got into Web3 and investing in this space to begin with for all our listeners who may not be familiar with you and your background. 10 years ago, I had a coffee with a very special person named Brian Armstrong. He is the CEO of Coinbase, and we had it at this place called Red Rock in Mountain View, California. And I always attribute all of my meetings with people who ended up becoming billion-dollar companies to the place where it was, and I have hit a lot of dingers from Red Rock, so I thank Red Rock for all of the coffees I've had. Actually, I wasn't even drinking coffee at that time. I was drinking hot chocolate. So that should give a little more perspective and shade to the industry. I met Brian Armstrong and he said, at some point, the world's going to be on one financial infrastructure. I believe it's going to be Bitcoin. At that time, that was the only one that really existed. And we are going to be the gateway. We're going to be the gateway to get you there. Easiest way to buy Bitcoin. And in my head, I was thinking, 
why isn't it on one infrastructure? We can email, we can message, we can call anyone on the planet, but for some reason, value has all these middlemen and all this these problems globally. Like, what that conversation did was it made me curious, and I started to have more conversations with more Bitcoin people. Those Bitcoin people were like the most dynamic, interesting people I'd ever met. And so I really just followed the breadcrumbs of this energy and realized that there was something special happening in this industry. And so that led me to going all in on Bitcoin. So I ended up about three months later actually buying Bitcoin. So I invested in Coinbase and then three months later I, I bought some Bitcoin. And so I actually invested in a company in crypto before I bought some Bitcoin. And then over the next, I guess, 10 years, we've invested in all sorts of different, whether it be crypto, Bitcoin, blockchain, DeFi related projects. Some of those being like Etherscan, which if you're in Ethereum, like you've probably used that product. We are obviously investors in Unstoppable Domains, which we're incredibly excited about. I thought of it as pre-programmable freedom of speech. And then we were the first investors in Nifty Gateway. We were first investors in Amun 21 shares. We were the first investors in a lot of companies, Repio, ShakePay, like a lot of gateways, a lot of DeFi, and a lot of NFT, Web3 related stuff. Your question though is what brought me here? And what brought me here was it was never really about crypto or Web3 or any of that. At first, there's the following of energy and great people. But the movement I've, I've really been investing towards for a very long time is the movement of bringing great services to the individual. And so what crypto is all about is becoming your own bank. Suddenly, as my own bank, I'm able to get the same goods and services. Before crypto, you were either banked or you were unbanked. That was it. Like governments either banked you or they unbanked you. Like there was no, and it was governments and institutions and whoever, banked or unbanked. But what we built on the internet was this third option. We built a third option in an alternative space where you could have your own services. And that option comes with downsides, right? Like security and like all slow sort of. Like there are a lot of things that are like not perfect about it. But it's a competitive space that's going to make the financial markets better. And like, I think that is one of the most exciting and empowering and powerful movements that can exist. And so that's really what brought me to Web3, crypto, DeFi. It's all been a part of that line. And at first, the thing I'll say is, I think a lot of people think about this a little differently than I do. Like they think of each individual thing like cut up into different pieces. But what crypto gave us was scarcity on the internet. One thing. It gave us one, like that's it. Like I can verifiably prove that there is one thing on the internet. And that's what Bitcoin was. And so for computer scientists, which was the first group, the first demographic that really picked up on this, they were like trying to play with ways in which scarcity on the internet matter. And Bitcoin was the obsession. Now, over time, Ethereum broke out and realized, you know, hey, we need a way to fundraise and engineers need to be able to actually use the programming language. And then they also launched at the same time as the ERC-20 smart contract. They launched a ERC-721, which is the NFT smart contract. That took a little longer to go. And the reason was we went from computer scientists and then Ethereum launched to financial people. So finance sort of started to be playing with this idea of scarcity on the internet. 
And so we emerged with DeFi and suddenly people are giving out lending products and staking products and like different things that are native to the industry. And they're moving from finance to crypto and DeFi. The third wave that we hit when NFTs sort of started to really pick up was artists had a new business model. And artists come in all shapes and forms. They come in forms of entertainers, basketball players, movie stars, like entertainer. It's this entertainment industry that really, in gaming, and everyone's starting to realize that NFTs were the gateway drug for entertainment to really understand this scarcity on the internet, which they're all still experimenting with. And so each industry, we're starting to like rapidly experiment and learn more about And that's what it's all about. It's different methods in which I get to become in charge of my own assets, right? And that's the goal. The goal is me in charge of my own assets. From the talk with Brian Armstrong, and you you mentioned his statement about one financial infrastructure for the entire world, and then to you know, where we are today with all these different sectors of Web3, DeFi, NFTs, there's this whole finance component. Do you still see that like one financial infrastructure playing out? Because I think that on one hand scares some people when they think about oh how does that how does that integrate with government and the way we actually like have a civilized society you know and then but on the other hand you bring up this scarce digital assets and how the blockchain and all these all these really interesting and useful like technologies being built on it allow everybody around the world to participate in the same arena and I struggle sometimes trying to differentiate between is this possible to have this one infrastructure, you know, but then on the other hand, I see it working out and I see people all over the world collaborating on entertainment and finance and, you know, these digital assets that they own. So I'd like your take on on how you see that kind of playing out, especially as we have more and more regulation on the horizon. I'll start by saying a Dune quote, which is fear is the mind killer. A wise person, one of my friends, he, his name's Colin West, he said, anytime I made a decision out of fear, it was the wrong decision, right? I've started to realize that you can control what you can control, fearing the impending doom of government regulation, all that stuff. In crypto has always been the wrong move. And the reason is government keeps legitimizing it. Like every single time. So the first time, God, what was the very first time government looked at it? They said, oh, it is money. I forget which group, but they actually wrote, hey, digital currency is currency, so it has to be in the money transmitter bucket, right? And everyone was like, oh man, this is going to be the worst thing ever. This is going to be horrible. Turned out to be the best thing ever. Like price skyrocketed. Everyone jumped into the market. The price went from like $20 to $100. Like everyone was really like, it legitimized it because when the government starts saying something, it's like promoting the idea that it's real. Before it was fake. And then the government said it's real and everyone goes, oh, okay, like this is legit. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll try, try that. It looks fun. I'm on the internet a lot. Might as well own some piece of it. The main question around can this one financial infrastructure for the planet work? I'd say the last 15 years, actually my entire life, like has been defined by an experiment. An experiment of 4 billion people hooked up to one network. And we got to 4 billion people over the course of, you know, the last four and a half billion people, however many people are actually on the internet, connected through phones, you know, laptops, whatever. And 
and now we're a global village. You're like we're a, and we don't know what that means. And so there are all these polarizing things you read, right? Like, but when you meet people in the real world, they're actually pretty rational human beings on both sides. Uh, like whenever there's this like hot take that everyone's like fighting over, whether it's masks or vaccines or whatever it is, everyone's pretty rational. Like when you actually talk to them in person, I'm massively generalizing, but like. I feel that what NFTs are giving us is a way to congregate around interests and or Web3 is giving us a way to congregate around interests so that we can build together. I've seen more collaborative pitches around Web3 and NFTs than I've ever really seen because everyone has to think community first. They have to think about who's going to be involved, how's the, how are they going to build. And sometimes, you know, sometimes the founders are a little greedy. They try to like, you know, they're going to try to take more than they should. But like in general, everyone's really for this general idea of collaborative building. The reason that I bought a board, I have a board ape over here. Nice. We'll put it up on the uh, YouTube video. Yeah, perfect. Which is a little ironic because it's a physical print of a digital asset, which is sort of a funny thing that like, I think it's sort of funny to go the opposite direction. Hey, this was built for native digital and now we're... But I think that Bored Apes, I think CryptoPunks, different sets of these community-driven NFTs, it's massively scaling something like what Disney would be, where you're able to build out communities and build on top of the idea of what the network represents. And so there's already Bored Ape comics. There's already Jenkins. They're writing a book as a team, a collaborative team. Jenkins the Valet. Yeah, Jenkins the Valet. And then there are all these things where suddenly we're collaborating around an interest where everyone was attracted to the idea of and thought these characters were cute or represented themselves. And then they developed their own personalities. It's almost like we're in a game, right? Like we're almost playing a game, trying to create identity and personality and figure out where the value is. Also, the other thing is, I mean, it was like three weeks ago, I was like, whoa, the number of bank accounts in the US, like there are more people own crypto than have a bank account in the US, which... Like that flip is pretty crazy. And that means that we are actually driving the value, whether or not you, like people are sort of skeptical of what NFTs represent or skeptical, like people are taking control of their own assets and it is filling a need. It's filling an actual desire of like having a bank account, which also means there are people who didn't have bank accounts who do own crypto. And I, w- I think we need to grow that number. Like that number needs to grow in order to actually make this thing work. The number on, I have it pulled up actually, the status for the first time, the number of US citizens holding crypto is 24% has surpassed the number of citizens with a savings account, which is 23%. So yeah, I thought that was super interesting too. And it shows maybe one, how crypto is growing and two, maybe a, a broader picture of how I would say people are looking for alternative investment assets when they're not finding those returns in the traditional stock market game. And, you know, you're a VC and you have access to a lot of deals that I would say people like me and probably a lot of people in like the millennial generation and younger, like don't have access to, right? And when you're trying to save for a house or pay off student loans, I think we're all looking for crypto as our, you know, asymmetric upside bet versus just the stock market. So... That's super interesting. You know, I talk to more and more college kids now and like they're definitely all like trading crypto. And, you know, if you did it in the last year, you did really well, except for the last three months. Right. 
But think of the financial education you get from doing that, from on a smaller scale making, maybe you made a lot of money, maybe you didn't, but you made money, you lost money, you start to develop your own thesis around how money works. I think one of the things that Bitcoin really drove and the reason I love Bitcoin so much is like it drove a conversation around what money is. Like how crazy is it that like, okay, Steph Curry and like all these people are literally putting their NFT up on their profile saying, hey, and the way I look at it is they're saying I'm a banker. Like I'm controlling my own assets. This is what I'm doing. Like I'm a part of this community that controls our own assets. I'm holding scarcity on the internet and I'm taking control of that. And like, I think it's wild to think of like all these entertainers who are actually promoting the general idea of like scarcity on the internet and taking control of your own assets 10 years ago, the idea of like them saying I'm a banker would have been silly, right? Like I'm a, they would have never wanted to say that. Crypto gives us the ability to translate a lot of these common interests into different ways where people in finance definitely migrate more to DeFi because it's something they understand, but it's still just about scarcity where entertainment migrates to IP because they that's something they understand, but it's still just scarcity on the internet. Like, we're translating all those assets to an equilibrium where there's no difference between startups or crypto or anything, comic books. Like, we're starting to say if someone globally feels that it is valuable, it is valuable. And, like, if you get a community of people to believe that, it's real. And, like, that's the trust. To to your previous question about governance, I generally think that people are about government sort of like impacting regulation. It's going to be a thing, obviously. But do you really think a senator is going to be like, hey, I'm going to be the senator that regulates board apes? Do you think someone's going to be like, oh, this is the hill I die on is like regulating Mickey Mouse? You know, I think that there's a, a certain amount of like silliness that allows innovation to play. And I think that the reason that people moved from Bitcoin to Ethereum, to DeFi, to NFTs, to Web3, like the reason these things happened was because people kept escaping to an easier, less regulated area. And so it's always about, hey, well, there's this other thing. This isn't the same thing. And we're going to speculate, learn about it, figure out how this works differently. I think that it's driven so much innovation that like people can't ignore the space anymore. It's... I mean, there's senators who are saying, I'm for Bitcoin. To me, that's such a success. Like, that's such a huge move and that, like, people are arguing about it on the government level. El Salvador owning a bunch of Bitcoin. Like, Bitcoin might go down over the next two years, but, like, straight up. I don't know. I've been in the market so long, like, it goes up, it goes down, it goes up, it goes down. And it's normal. It, it sort of breathes. It, it sort of, like, goes... <gasps> And it goes straight up, straight up, straight up. And then it's like choppy, 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 choppy. And then, it, you know, it drops down. People take a big deep breath. And then it breathes again because innovation was built and like really great stuff. And people stay in it for the right reasons. I think we're going to get to the point where the incentives align with the government loving it. To the point where you can't like just be like, oh, this is horrible. So I think we need more people who are going to be in government to own Bitcoin or Ethereum or any of that stuff. And so... I'm starting to find people who are pro Bitcoin and I'm trying to donate some money to those those candidates because I think that's an important mission over the next little bit of time. I think yeah, Ryan Selkis is doing a really good job of sort of like saying that a lot. So 
I live in Oregon. That might have been the uh, Oregon Center I saw you shout out on Twitter recently. I'll have to look into him because I, to be honest, I am not familiar with his platform. So you just covered like NFT communities and how we are, we're turning these assets into games and and it's fun. And I think that's very interesting to like pull on and touch on for a second. Like NFTs allow us to turn everything into this financial asset, whether right now it's a board eight, but you know, soon it could be your car, your resume, basically any asset you own. I just feel like we're going to be starting to send all these, like sending all these assets around, like everything becomes money. Whereas right now, very, I would say very few things are money. And the more I experiment with it, and you talked about getting your education in crypto, like, yeah, I've made some really good trades and I've, I've made some not so good ones. But after all of them, I'm I'm learning along the way and it's making me more comfortable with making like future decisions. But something I realize is like betting and especially with crypto and NFTs has felt like the most real life game I've ever played. <laughs> and all of a sudden, like what happens when just everything becomes this internet game you're playing and you're just sending, it's like the huge game of Monopoly and you're acquiring assets, you're sending them, you're getting pictures. And I don't know, I think, I think it's pulling a lot of people in and, and hopefully as we start identifying with certain communities, it, it will continue to evolve. But what you also said about what you're seeing right now, I'd like to ask you about the deals you're seeing come across your desk and like from the companies or even the founders, you said it's become more community and like common interest driven than you've ever seen before. How has what you've seen come to you for investment change just even in the last year than in your you know whole 10 years in crypto? Well, I'll even talk about the evolution of like how deals have been structured in sort of crypto in general. First, I actually think, you know, a lot of people, they scoff at speculation and sort of the gambling, as you put it, that goes on in NFTs and and crypto in general. And I think it drives so much adoption and so much education that it's completely worth it. And like, at the end of the day, yes, you can have a gambling problem. You can have a trading problem. Like, but if you learn enough, you start to be like, I'm not a trader. I will lose that game all day. Like I will lose that game. But on a 10-year timeline, I'm very good at buying and holding and especially finding people who are actually trying to build enduring businesses. And that's the that's the goal, right? Like my goal as a venture capitalist, it's a 10-20 year game where I'm trying to find the people who are actually going to be building these things for the long run. Okay, the way things have changed, man, the first time someone pitched me tokens, People forget this stuff. Like the first time someone said tokens to me during a VC pitch, I was like, but what do I own though? And they go, well, it's this token that, and I'm like, so you're just creating a token and then I'm going to own a piece of that token. And they're like, yeah, like, but you know, there's value because of X, Y. And, but the first time you see that there is fear, there's like this moment of fear where it's a little different. Like you don't, you don't really trust it because you've been investing in equity of a company your whole life or you've been investing in like, like there's a very specific way that we've been doing things in venture capital. Oh, Golem. It was Golem, which is compute power like on, and, and it was an ERC 21 smart contract. But I don't want to say what the deal boost probably could have gotten was, but like it was, they pitched us and I was like, I gave him feedback. I sent, I like, I really liked the, the guy. I thought 
and, and I sent them feedback and he, he went full time after the email and like he actually said thank you at one point. But like we didn't invest. And even if, if you're skeptical of Golem and like all that stuff, it would have been a great investment. Like it would have been a really good investment and I, the project is actually still very interesting to me. The thing we missed on was like, again, fear is the mind killer. Like the fear of like a new thing that you, you're not sure you trust, right? And that was a very difficult hurdle to overcome until you heard it five times. And so what, what Boost VC was very good at was we were in the right pool of people who were pitching us that all the time. After the fifth one, you have to be like, okay, well, something's happening with tokens. We got to figure this out, basically. And so, you know, we ended up investing in Decentraland uh, through Mana. We ended up, like, we ended up participating in a lot of these ICOs because the tokens did. We were pretty sure the tokens were going to have value, even though we didn't necessarily understand what that value was yet and what it was driven by. Fast forward a little bit. Sorry, I feel like I'm lecturing a history lesson of, of crypto, but I'm finding it interesting to hear how like you approach it. And, you know, at the maybe when you tie it all together, how you think the average person should approach it, because I think, you know, you you have the ability to and, and VCs and tell me if I'm wrong here, because I'm definitely not one. But like you're willing to place maybe let's just say 100 bets and a lot of them may not work out because some of them are going to work out so well that it covers you know your portfolio so you're willing to take these massive high upside bets but i would say the average person may not be and you're learning and you're investing in things that you don't fully understand but think may have value and i i kind of flip want to push back on it and say as we aim for global adoption and the average person wants to get involved you know how do they think about all these two? Because, and maybe they're not investing at the such an early stage as you, but when you're, when they're thinking about buying their first NFT or they're thinking about buying a token themselves, you know? I'll get there. I'm going to finish the history lesson because recently people have been pitching these NFT projects, right? Which is just tokens, again, for how you take ownership of a project. And sometimes the NFTs stay in the organization and sometimes it's outside the organization. So you want to own some of the stuff outside the organization as well as inside the organization. And so these structures, people are rapidly prototyping where the value is, right? And that's on a financial level, fascinating. Like being able to experiment with these asset classes, experiment with what the best way of like aligning incentives is. What we're doing is rapidly prototyping governance to align incentives in the best way. And at scale, that's the most exciting thing ever. Could we, I shouldn't say weaponize, but weaponize capital to be able to solve climate change? Could we weaponize capital to be able to solve the hardest problem, clean up the ocean? Could we find enough people who are aligned to actually create that change in the real world through Web3, through these other things? One of the things I've learned, and I should say just to on a, if people are approaching it now to invest, whenever you feel that hint of fear, like think about it. Like my best investments, they were full of fear for a very specific thing. You could say no to Coinbase for a very specific reason. This Bitcoin thing's not going to be a thing. And that was the reason that like basically no VCs invested. Everyone thinks Coinbase was an obvious winner of 10 years ago. Like it wasn't obvious. It was, they didn't raise their seed round. They raised $600,000 of their million dollar potential seed round. And they closed it because they were just like, hey, I'm going to get back to work. I'm going to take the money in and I'm going to figure this out. And so what one of the things I've, I've very much learned is trying to keep that, I, I don't know if the word is fear, but the fear in check, 
and thinking like, hey, but what if it could? What if it did work? Does that change how the world works? And that's probably the most important question I ask whenever I'm talking to a team. The other thing is, it's always about people. It's not about projects. So like at the end of the day, every single project is run by humans. Like there aren't AIs who are driving these things. People will try to desensitize themselves through a stock price or a NFT price or a, there are people in that organization. Is that, is that organization attracting great people? Are they attracting more people? Is there a network effect to being a part of that group? Are those people really ambitious? Are they really trying to change something in the world? And those questions end up being able to drive you to which projects to be thinking about. Being able to ask the questions around humans, it turns out, is the thing that really defines like great investments from the others. And the one thing that crypto is full of is, I don't think it's a bad thing, I don't know, like, but they aren't great startup builders, is short-term like speculators. They're just not good at building startups. They're sort of a quick turnaround group of people. It does drive value to the network, but it doesn't drive as much value as building the platform over a 10-year period that makes the thing hum. And so, and builds trust. The thing I've learned is trust is the token of the realm. Like there's a guy named George Schultz, not Charles Schultz. Charles Schultz did peanuts, but George Schultz. And he lived to be 100. And when he was turned to 100, he wrote 13 pages about his life. And it's called Trust is the Token of the Realm. And the summary of it, and I highly recommend reading it, but the summary of it is when trust was highest in the room, magic happened. They were able to solve the hardest problems. They were able to make the biggest difference. And I have witnessed that firsthand, but the rooms have moved online. And so if you're able to actually build trust in the community online, if you're able to build trust in real world rooms, if it, like wherever you will build that trust, like you will be able to accomplish the goal. Also, at the end of the day, if you don't want to participate, like find someone to manage your money. And that's what I do. <laughs> totally. And I am like for also anyone listening, like I am also just a very much holder. I am not a good trader. I, I learned that very quickly during the, the 2017 ICO boom. I just buy and hold and I, I look for the things that I think are going to be impactful long term. But what you just said about like trust and find trust where it's the highest in the room, I think that applies so well to crypto because on this one hand, we have the ability to have these permissionless trust ecosystem because of the blockchain, right? And being able to transact with people without knowing them and and know that my money can go somewhere. And if someone sends me money, it will come where I direct it, right? At the same time, when talking about crypto, we have scams and these hacks that are attacking the NFT community in, in like recent weeks. And so the narrative gets so skewed because I think real people in the weeds of Web3 and crypto, you know, you see this, you see how we can have global trust and that can lead to global collaboration and real building, right? But then in the news headlines, we kind of lose the sense of trust because of the infrastructure we're still building up around how people can manage their own assets and, you know, have real custody over what they own. So I see that being just a competing force right now that's it's really working the kinks out. For the last 10 years, that's been a, I, I don't know if it's a problem, but it's the first way that people hear about crypto is always through a negative headline. The Silk Road marketplace, like buy drugs, whatever. Like that was the first real, those were the big news stories about Bitcoin. 
now it's really about privacy and hacks and that there are bad actors. I would say that's sort of the overarching like, oh, well, I don't want to get in. It's an easy way to say I don't want to get in because, right? Like I don't want to get in because my money will get stolen because I don't spend all my time in crypto. But if you if you take the time to just learn more, you start to realize that the number of actual bad actors is very few. And yes, I still hold my breath every time I press an Ethereum send, right? Like I don't feel that that is perfectly done yet as a consumer. Maybe that's one of the reasons I'm such a hodler. It's just because I pressing the button is actually still a little scary. Even on OpenSea, even on like all these things, it's still not a, not a perfectly done thing. But once you get past that and you, you give like the community the benefit of the doubt that not everyone can be bad and there are great, amazing people who are hugely supportive of it. The thing that got me out of the like, oh, maybe this will be, this is bad or whatever, was every single person I met was curious. They were all trying to figure out how to make this a bigger deal. They were trying, like Bill Bardite ended up leaving Boom Financial and founding Abra to crypto wallet. Well, Sebastian Serrano, who we backed, ended up founding Repio, and he hunted me down at every event, which is why we ended up backing him. But he's the, it's the Coinbase of Latin America. It was just sort of like these people who were curious about it eventually got so obsessed that they started businesses to build value for the network. And that was awesome. And it's so exciting. And so now I think we're at the next rung of people. You were asking about what types of deals we're seeing. We're seeing a lot of deals that are starting gaming companies because I think a lot of people saw Axie and Infinity and realized, hey, maybe we can build that, right? Take advantage of the idea of play to earn. Not many people have figured it out yet. Like there are a lot of these. So that's one thing. And what I've realized is I do think that uh, Discord and NFTs are the lowest cost way to build intellectual property around a community. I think Bored Apes is a really good example. Like they built intellectual property around a community. They have a Discord in order to collaborate on that community. And it reduces the cost of actually having anything physical. Moving atoms is always easier than moving bits is how I always think about it. My AIM screen name was Adam Adam, but AIM does no longer exist. A-T-O-M-A-D-A-M. That was a long, long, long time ago. Clever. Yeah, right? Adam Adam. I think what's happening is we're, we're starting to have the lowest cost of building community and trust around ideas. And so we're going to start, like, you get to choose which communities you want to be a part of. And, like, in every community, there's, you know, the person who's trying to sell you an NFT and there's someone trying to buy an NFT. And there's, like, that's great. But also, it, the reason I'm going to point at Board Ape again it has been so successful is they gave you a roadmap. They've delivered. And they built that trust as a community to continue building the trust. And they built an engine of other people who own their own IP of Bored Apes, including myself, who continue to be a marketing machine. I've said it five times on this podcast for Bored Apes. And the that's, that's exciting. We're not a part of the same organization, but we're all fighting the same fight. Like that's so exciting to me that we can do that. I have a mutant ape. I did have a bored ape originally, sold it along the way, but I have a mutant ape right now. That's my avatar on Twitter. But 
so far on this podcast since taking over as host, three out of the five guests I've interviewed have had bored apes and myself have a mutant. And so it's even interesting seeing that marketing. I, I'm, I'm not trying to bring this up every episode, but it's just people who are into crypto and like all in. We, we have bored apes. Right? Even more exciting is there's a group that is unaffiliated with the Yuga Labs who launched Bored Ape Comic. So they launched a comic book with the IP of their characters, and then they sold their own NFT off of it, and they made money to buy more Bored Apes. The way to use IP and like the, the way that NFT projects are composable and they build off each other, I, I really I love it. One thing I want to say about what you're you were talking about communities. At first, you know, we start and these communities are a great place to come together and learn. And I was thinking about how just broader like Web2 internet, it allowed people to learn on YouTube. Like I'm such a big YouTube university person. And all of a sudden I can learn, I can learn from people who aren't in my close vicinity. And I can find like experts outside of my, you know, my hometown. I'm not, con- I'm not constricted to just the teacher at my high school or my parents. Like, to be honest, my parents actually aren't very financially, I don't want to say like financially educated, but they're not big investors, right? So I learned everything about investing from like not them, from the people I found online. And then with NFTs, we introduce this community aspect. And now the online world is not just a place I learn, it's a place I can play. And you talk about these gaming companies that you're seeing come forward and and how you can play to earn and like what gets me so excited. And it sometimes when I'm talking to my friends, it feels like my head's just way up in the clouds. But I feel like we're about to transcend on the internet to a place where we now can live. And we like we went from learning to playing to living and and you can live with these communities too, even if you're not physically located together. But because we all have the same NFT, you know, we can access the same metaverse plot of land and we're all making the same passive token yield. And it just feels like this internet is becoming so much more expansive in the the fastest time frame I've ever seen. I think the metaverse, as everyone calls it now, it's really funny because we've been investors in the virtual reality space for a long time. They they were talking about the metaverse, you know, in 2015 when crypto was talking about DeFi and they were talking not NFTs, they were talking about ICOs and then DeFi. And we, you know, we heard the term metaverse. And then in the last two years, it completely flipped where only crypto companies were pitching us metaverse. And it was because a lot of the like, original metaverses of VR didn't end up panning out perfectly over the like three years, even though they're going to happen and it's going to be awesome. I believe that the metaverse, to your point about you're saying learn, play, live, right? I think it's about ownership, immersion, and connectivity. So like internet, crypto, virtual reality for experiential. So like I think the true metaverse that everyone is hoping for is those three things. And I think we needed all three of them. Everyone always are, says like, well, VR's had four false starts. They have, by the way, but they never had the internet. Not one of the actual VR experience, like timeframes when people got excited about VR had the internet. Suddenly we have good connectivity. We have good immersion. We've, we're learning how to build good experiences. And then you add ownership in there. Suddenly I have digital items that I can experience rather than just look at through a window. And like right now I'm looking at my board ape and I'm like jazz, right? Like I'm like, oh yeah, that's great. But like I can't experience it, right? Like I've I've to I've to imagine a little bit. 
but what if I could, what if I could start to experience it? What if I could have a sculpture that I'm like looking around? What if I, you know, bring together a community of bored apes together where I get to meet everyone pseudonymously? Every single bored ape's going to have a unstoppable domain. It's going to have a Web3 domain name that gives it a name, a wallet address, a identity that allows for the next future. Like, I don't see a world where DAOs take over and decentralized domain names don't, right? Like, I, I can only see a world because a domain name will start to build trust. Our items are going to have domains. Our individual are going to have domains. Matt Gould, CEO of Unstoppable, he, you know, pitched us five years ago, four years ago. By the way, cra crazy thing. We had 10 companies in a session of Boost VC and Nifty Gateway and Unstoppable were two of them in that one session of 10 companies. And so like we, we and it was two years before NFTs took off and we just knew that it was going to be a thing and it was great. That's so cool that they were together in the same round. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, that session had a couple other huge wins too. What he pitched us, you you asked at the very beginning, like what what was our story of Unstoppable? So Brayton Williams, who's my partner, he, you know, he talks to a lot of the discords and, the, and he spends a lot of time on the Telegram chat groups, as we all do. We got referred this from one of our other other companies. The reason that Unstoppable stood out to me, because it was during a time when ICOs were really popular, DeFi was really popular to talk about. No one was talking about NFTs, first of all. And then the second thing that was crazy about it was, for some reason, I had never heard anyone try to link Web 2 and Web 3 well, where we'd have digital assets. We have domain names. Like People have domain names, but no one had tried to bridge that gap of ownership with a product yet everyone kept trying to do native tokens native like in crypto for all intents and purposes has been very crypto native it's very much like its own ecosystem its own culture but this idea of being able to bridge something that people understood which was domain names to web3 felt like an opportunity we couldn't miss out on because i felt it was going to educate the next 100 million people on how to experience crypto. I think we're still right. It takes a long time to get 100 million people on the system. So it's actually interesting. Our first communication was I just cold DM'd you on Twitter and I had gotten an offer from Unstoppable to be the new podcast host. And I just said, hey, Adam, heard you're an investor with them. What do you think about the company? Because I, as an, as an NFT investor for basically a full year at that point, really hadn't gotten familiar myself with NFT domain names. And so I, I had some questions about it. And you told me that Unstoppable is one of the companies that is on your never sell list. So we're tight on time here. But if you can tell me, like, why is Unstoppable in a, an impressive portfolio of yours, like so high up there? And, and why is your conviction so high on on where this company is heading and, and the value they're bringing to the you know the crypto world and just people and digital identity and ownership at, at large. So you know the dream of well at least me as a venture capitalist or others is that we have a small impact in establishing a value set capital and network to a company that defines the world in about thirty years. Right? You want to be a part of a, a mission, a magical thing that ends up changing how the world works in a better way than was before. 
And so a lot of my job is figuring out what companies I would never want to sell, right? Like figuring out what companies I, and that takes a long time. Like it takes a long time to figure out which companies you work best with and all that stuff. And Unstoppable has, as a team, I mean, we backed them early and then we backed them again early. Like it was pretty early. But as a team, they were able to always articulate momentum really well and explain the progress that they were having. And then when they asked us for things, great founders know how to ask for a very specific thing that's important. Okay. Uh, Some founders will say like, connect me to these 50 investors. And like, you know, maybe that ends up being useful, but the best founders know exactly who they need to get connected to that makes sense and is important to their business succeeding. And so my answer is, is really driven by the team again with Unstoppable. Like, the founding team, Brad, Matt, Matt, and Braden, they are so dedicated and lethal. They've really gone against the grain with building a lot of different things. I have a lot of thoughts on that, but like they've generally built it their own way while still really taking into consideration the market and understanding who the user is and who the customer is and how to build a big profitable business. They also had a history of building a good business before this. They had built a a good business before this. So that would be my answer. My answer is the team is lethal. They found market fit over the course of the last couple of years. And their vision is it's large. And so they really want to change how the world works. You touched on some of the companies you see are you're investing in tokens and Unstoppable doesn't have a token. In an NFT world, and a Web3 world, a lot of focus goes towards the centralization. And I think we're bringing a lot of value to the NFT like market and the ability to provide identities to your digital assets. Do you see that decentralization, the lack thereof in terms of how the company is established as a detractor in Web3? Okay, centralization is not a bad thing. I've been in crypto a long time. Decentralization is not a bad thing. Centralization is not a bad thing. And we're dealing with what the differences are over the last 10 years. Like we're trying to figure out what that means. And I think that it means a lot of different things. I think there's a chance that every company in the future ends up being a DAO or a decentralized business or you know having their own token. Every business ends up being a currency of some kind. Just like every stock, every token, every comic book on some level it's all just currency right like it's something that has built trust you own a piece of it and it either goes up or down like we're all forex traders now and so it's like we're all trying to figure out what's more or less value valuable than the last thing and we're all really just pegging against the u.s dollar and saying this is going to drive this is going to perform better than the u.s dollar and it's a good bet just buy some bitcoin buy some eth you'll be fine Uh, Don't speculate. Uh, And none of that is financial advice. Evidently, I'm supposed to say something like that. And so they have made, I believe, great decisions and thought very hard about exactly that question. And for the time being, it makes more sense to centralize for speed, centralize for the product, centralize for a lot of different reasons. I think we need more than just Coinbase listed on the public markets. Like, I think we need uh, who's going to be the first Web3 business to do that. And I think Unstoppable has a shot. I think OpenSea has a shot. Like, I I think that we, if you're truly decentralized, you're not going to be doing that. And sometimes it's, I think for 
the sake of more education and more people being brought in for the next 10 years, everyone thinks that the world changed right when they changed their mind for NFTs, for tokens, for all that stuff. The world is changing over time. And I've been here for 10 years and we are way further along than I thought we would be, right? Like I'm, we're way, way further along, but we still only have like 200 million wallets. That means that we have like 20X to go and that 20X is going to be a hard 20X. And so I think that centralization plays a role in every business over the next 10 years. It's a great question and it's a great debate. You know, like it's a great debate internally, externally. I think it's an important thing to have, but for speed, for process, for organizational structure. And then if your goal is to be a business and to IPO, the question is, do you want a token? I really appreciate the color you added to that. It is a really interesting debate. And I would also double down and say, yeah, the founders have thought super hard about it, but I I appreciate your take on it as an investor. All right. Three rapid fire questions to wrap this podcast up. Who's an influential Web3 creator, entrepreneur, or collector that's really inspired or educated you? The biggest influences in my investment career are driven by founders, mostly, and then other investors. And so I would say the people who have made the biggest difference in how I think is actually Matt Gould at Unstoppable is an unstoppable force. And he, he really thinks hard. He's really impressive. And also, he was the first person to ever talk about a digital asset that made sense to me for what now we call Web3. Or I have to say Brian Armstrong because he was the gateway for me and many, many people to just deliver into the space. And I basically dedicated 10 years of my life trying to inspire more people to be in it. Um, I'm still that Bitcoin guy to 90% of my friends. And I definitely am not the Bitcoin guy to me. That's definitely true. And so... And then the third, I want to say Chris Dixon and Andreessen Horowitz. I have been fortunate to be able to have enough conversations with him to understand how he thinks and how deeply he thinks about the space. And I, I would give him a very high, like pretty good praise. There are so many great people who are in this space a long time, though. I like I always try to give credit to the other four funds that were 10 years ago. Like it's Pantera, Blockchain Capital and DCG. And it was just us. That was it. Like no one else. So I always say like they define me a lot as I hope I made some impact on them. So that was longer answer than you wanted, but short, like generally short because inspiration comes from impact to me. That's sort of how I was thinking about it. I love the shout out to someone from Unstoppable. Matt Gold also inspires me and so does Chris Dixon, the way he writes so clearly. He's actually the one that connected me to you in the first place. So shout out to Chris. He's got depth. Yeah. Favorite NFT. I truly do love that I have Adam Draper.crypto, but there's no image to it right now. So like, and I am a visual person. I think it does make my life a little easier. You can link your board ape to that domain. I think once I link those two pieces, which I have not done and I know I can, once I link those two pieces, that'll be my favorite. But just based off of like my general use of it, my board ape, which is right here and like also on my Twitter account, I think that it has done a greater job to educating people and markets on crypto than almost anything, which is a bold claim. Like, I think it was, it lowered the barrier because of how silly it is to people being like, oh, I could probably understand that. That's an ape, right? Like I could probably figure this out. And I think it reduced the friction of fear that people needed to get. I would say my board ape. I have to say my board ape. 
All right, we're, we're going to have a board ape counter on the screen. It might be at 15 now. And you're going to hate me for this last question. I'm sorry, but if you can make it one sentence in five years, what's the craziest thing we'll be doing in the metaverse that we're not even thinking about yet? There's a lot of natively crypto things that we're doing that we wouldn't have expected, right? Like the tools that we've built out, the people are able to loan to each other. Like these communities are forming in the internet to be able to do do that stuff. I mean, I do think that the general crazy thing is when there's a flip where my board ape is my true identity in the internet and like people recognize that and not me in real life and I'll group up with like my friends and work will be going on quests, like kill monsters and stuff, but also figure out where you're allocating capital in my case, obviously. The thing is that feeling normal. Like I think the, the big change is like, the standardization of people recognizing my board ape and not me. People, maybe it's not my board ape. I'm just saying like that as a avatar, my avatar and not me. And people building out pseudonymous like fortunes. I think they're going to be like incredibly wealthy people that we don't know, right? Like, and that's already happening. Like, they're incredibly wealthy people who we have no idea who they are. And I think that is going to compound. I think it's just normalifying like late night hangout quests. That's going to be the weird thing. Like at the end of the day, the killer app of the metaverse is still just hanging, like being together. And I think that that and just the standardification of us hanging and all the things that go with that are going to be really interesting. I mean, it's going to be really weird to have like a, if I get hit, like there's a thing that hits me, you know, or a, the physical hardware stuff's going to be weird. Awesome. Appreciate that answer. And just to wrap it up, can you let everyone know where they can follow you and, and, and stay in touch with what you're working on? 100%. You can apply to Boost VC. We invest $500,000 in the founders who are trying to change the world and we accelerate the sci-fi future. You can reach me at, at Adam Draper on Twitter or actually Adam at boost.vc on email. Like I reply to my emails or DM me at, on Twitter like Josh did. And, you know, I'll, I'll reply. I think people are always surprised. Our job is to reply. Like we have to build networks. Thank you. Thank you. This was amazing. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, I appreciate it so much. Thank you for everybody listening to the Unstoppable Podcast. We'll catch you next week. Be unstoppable. Peace out. hope you've enjoyed this episode of the unstoppable podcast if something we said today resonated with you please leave us a review subscribe and share this with your friends and remember this conversation doesn't have to end here tweet us your questions thoughts and ideas to unstoppable web i look forward to hearing from you and thank you so much for listening